0: Hey, Troy, I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever thought about how you would handle the news if you were diagnosed with some form of cancer? Has that oh, wow. ever gone through your mind at all? I just don't even want to think about it, honestly. Ugh. Like
1: I've I've delivered the news several times to patients in the ER. Um it's always such a difficult difficult thing to do. But I I can't say I've taken that step to say how exactly what I react. I mean, it's yeah. kind of crossed my mind, but I guess I just haven't wanted to go that far to really, really internalize that. Like how it could impact your life or what that yeah. would be. For, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's that there's that initial reaction just, you know, I think it's often denial. Um, But in terms of thinking the next step beyond that, I, I
0: can't say I've thought about it now. Today's guest is named John Mack. He was a healthy guy. He's been a runner for 25 years. He started casual road running, and then he started running ultra marathons. Kind of sounds like you, Troy. You started casual running, then you started running marathons.
1: Yeah, not ultra marathons. Right. John, John is next level. This next is, level.
0: This is like this is like a youth basketball player interviewing Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> but by all accounts, you know, doing the types of things that we would consider that are healthy and that healthy people do. But then he was diagnosed with lymphoma. So he had to directly think about that lead question that we just had. And today we want to talk to him about his journey and the impact the disease has had on his physical and mental health. What his life's like today and what he's learned along the way about his health. This is another episode in a series of men talking to men about their health on who cares about men's health with information, inspiration and a different interpretation of men's health. My name is Scott. I bring the BS. That means if something stupid's going to be said, it's probably going to be me. If something smart's going to be said, the MD to my BS is Dr. Troy Madsen. Yeah, I don't know. That's questionable, Scott. Uh, we've got <laughs> producer Mitch. He is a who cares about men's health convert. He's hey in the there as well. Yeah. And if something interesting's going to be said, it's probably going to be him. Oh, wow. Uh, and and our good. guest today is John Mack. He's also known as Johnny Runner. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Hey, thank you so much. I'm uh, really privileged to be here.
0: Um. Before the diagnosis, did you ever stop to consider how you might react to getting major health news like you received when you found out you had lymphoma?
2: Yeah, I didn't. I mean, yeah. I had,
0: you know, <laughs> like, why would we, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had some help, you know, some help things, but nothing, nothing like that on that level.
0: Yeah, I think uh, us guys sometimes just kind of take our health for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So when did you realize that something was up? Because by all accounts. As I set up in the intro, and you can correct me if if I if I was incorrect. Um, you you were a healthy guy, right? You were doing the types of things that people think healthy guys do. I'd imagine your diet was pretty good. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what your lifestyle was, and then tell us about when you realized something was up.
2: Uh, going into my diagnosis, you know, I was definitely running ultras, hundreds, um, fifty milers. You know, pretty pretty conscious about what I ate, but I wouldn't say that I'm you know the you know, I still partake <laughs> in some non-healthy foods and I don't even know what you, what is a healthy and non-healthy food. Everything, every food's healthy. I think it's just how much of, of each one you eat. Right. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I, th- I felt like I ate well and going into the diagnosis, I was very active, still running a lot, uh, probably running, you know, 60 to 80 miles a week. And, you know, I even had people say, you know, friends of mine, when I did get diagnosed, they said oh well so you know you take care of yourself and you're you're fit and all that and and you got cancer so w- what good's it doing yeah hmm. that was a good one so um you know you got to love your friends right? yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know my response to them was well yeah you know i i can see your point but on the other hand it's probably why i came through it uh as well as i did versus um you know had it had it been the other way around and i was i was very sedentary and didn't take care of myself so
0: i do have a question so men can be notorious about putting health concerns off did you did you have symptoms of lymphoma did you seek medical care right away i mean how how did that kind of all play out
2: okay yeah so and and just to clarify i had non-hodgkin's lymphoma um had a rare form of of that called mantle cell which you know it, at the time I was diagnosed, there was only maybe fourteen hundred cases a year being diagnosed, yeah, and as far as how it presented, part of the issue with mantle cell is there are not a lot of marker symptoms until usually you're you know you're di- you're diagnosed stage four so um night sweats are one of them, and I had those, but I've always had those since I was a kid, so I didn't really think much about that symptom um I had noticed a a small lump in my left axillary, and I also had a history of of chronic sinusitis. So I felt like anything above my chest, I you know sometimes my lymph nodes were inflamed, and but you know I watched it for a while and it didn't really get any bigger, but it also uh, you know wasn't getting smaller after a couple courses of antibiotics, and so I did. I, I have to admit I did kind of put it off, like oh it's not that it's you know it's nothing. But when it didn't change, uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I could just, I just need to go in and all they're going to do is tell me it's, it's nothing to worry about or, mm-hmm. or not. And so I decided to go in. I made an appointment with the, with the PA at the, at the office I was seeing and she agreed that it was, you know, a little bit bigger than, than what a lymph node should normally be. And that's when they sent me in for a biopsy. So I did put it off for sure. Um, but also. Uh, realized at some point that hey I I need to get this looked at even though I don't think it's anything.
1: So well, that's that's some pretty subtle symptoms then. So you just basically had a large lymph node in your left armpit and yeah. yeah, and you just saw it there and it sounds like probably a few months before before that biopsy, a couple rounds of antibiotics and then that's when they made the diagnosis was after the biopsy.
2: Yeah, it was probably longer from one of the time I noticed it uh to when I actually went in it was probably probably closer to six or seven months, but I, Hmm. I was, uh, I had a really uh, crisis with my job. I had to travel back and forth to Oregon and that delayed me going in uh, as well. So yeah, it was probably closer to six or seven months before I went in.
1: And tell us about when you got the news, was it the PA calling you or um, were you back in the office or how did that, how did that look?
2: Yeah, the surgeon called me um, and they let me know uh, that I had been diagnosed with the mantle cell. And so my, you know, I, my immediate reaction was, Oh, well, I really didn't understand what that was. Um, but I also said, well, I'd like to get a second opinion on the biopsy. So they had some tissue left that they sent up to Huntsman and Huntsman, you know, validated that the, the biopsy and said it was definitely mantle cell. Um, you know, I think get a little, uh, it's funny how like even 11 years later, you get, you get the clamped when you start talking about it. But, um, uh, even before the surgeon gave me the diagnosis, I, when I was getting the, the needle biopsy on the table that I think at the point they, the needle went in a couple minutes later, uh, I just knew I had something.
0: What made you feel that way? Do you think
2: I just felt like the part of it was just, you know, the feeling of that of the needle going into the into the lymph node, and I just I can't even really explain it. But oh. uh, I reached over uh, to my wife who was in there with me, and I just said, "I think I got cancer." Oh. Mm. Ah.
0: That diagnosis did that feel a little bit like a betrayal. I've heard other guys that Mm. um, take care of their health, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One in particular who wasn't super healthy and then decided, you know what, I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start running. He did start running and three or four years later got a diagnosis with prostate cancer and just felt like that was a a huge betrayal. Like, you know, kind of back to that joke here I am, I'm taking care of myself, (laughs) but I still get this illness. Did that feel like a betrayal? How did that how did that feel? Or was it just out and out terrifying? Yeah, I don't think it felt like a betrayal. I think
2: it just felt like I was running down the trail and somebody jumped out with a with a 2 by 4 and hit me in the forehead. Hmm. And, and I think you know, once once you have that feeling and that initial realization and um what's going on is you just I just decided it's like, well, I got this. These are the cards I've been dealt and I have to you know I just have to be laser focused on uh getting through it and not letting the the diagnosis define me i just gotta I just gotta fight now. How long did it take to get to that point where you felt that way? I went through the process before I had my initial um intake with my doctor um with my hematologist up there at the huntsman but once you know it was probably a week and a half that I got into there to the appointment and they had talked through you know, what things looked like and where we were at. And I just, right then I just like, okay, I'm, you know what? I've I just got to get through this. The only yeah. way out is through. And that's what I made wow. my mind to do.
0: I'll tell you what, yeah. man, I would like, you know, at the top of the show, I said, have you ever thought about that? And I've, I have thought about like, if I got a diagnosis of something like that and mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm a fighter like you, man, I feel like yeah. it would, mm-hmm. I feel like it would just devastate me and I'd be just like, well, hell, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you go through that at all? I mean, it sounds like uh, it did take about a week. And when you started getting some information, you're like, "Well, got to get through this." Um, we like, were you that way the whole time, or was there a time where you did have some other thoughts, like maybe I did?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, this is where I, this is the way I felt. I was like, okay, you know, cancer is a very scary word, um, and when you hear the words. Uh, it's definitely intimidating. And as soon as I heard that I had it, I was like, okay, cancer, regardless of what kind it is, you already have my respect. I already fear you. And and at that point I was just like, now let's, what do we need to do to get through it? So I think I, I accepted it pretty quick and, um, definitely had the fear and I was scared, but I just put that in the back of my head and said, what do we need to do to get through, get, take care of it.
0: I appreciate you admitting that because that's a lot of what this podcast is about is talking about these types of things. Like, I think for a lot of men, they might be all like F cancer. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to battle. But like, that's not always the emotion that's there. Like it's, I would imagine there's a lot of different emotions that go on
2: For, for sure. But I mean, it's, you know, you start thinking about, well, my family and, you know, uh, you know, am I going to be around? So definitely, all that stuff comes into play. Um, and I think anybody would be in denial if they didn't, you know, admit that. Like, oh, that doesn't bother me, or um, those kind of thoughts. I don't go through my head. You, they that they're definitely there, but at some point, you have to put them in the back and uh, you know move forward and deal with whatever your diagnosis is and whatever your treatment plan is you know, whatever kind of cancer protocol you're going to go through. Um, You know, I could talk about that a little bit, too, if you want. But, you know, just you got to be open. You you have to be open no matter how you feel like, oh, you you know, men can't cry or men can't talk about their feelings. Uh, You have to be open. And by being open and talking to other people about it, whether it's, you know, other men or or just – you know, your family, it just it just helps you through everything. But to bottle it up and, and stay closed, you uh, it's just going to make everything um, feel a lot worse.
1: Yeah. And one thing you mentioned, too, uh, you said because I think like Scott said, I think there are several different approaches. Like you can just flat out go into denial or you can just be like, OK, I'm, I'm just giving up, whatever. Let's just kind of go at this and see where it takes me. Or I think you can invest all of your energy into fighting cancer. But one thing you said that was even a little bit different, I thought, was you said, I don't want this to define me. Like I'm gonna fight this, but I don't want it to, def- to define me. I'm gonna keep doing everything else I'm doing.
2: Um what exactly did that mean to you when you when you took that approach? You know, and maybe some examples of of patients that I met during my treatment. Um the ones that focused on on that, uh, you know, I'm not gonna let it define me. Uh, I, I just always did better in their treatment and recovery. And the ones that said, you know, that just hated cancer and, um, focused on what they can't do anymore versus on what they can do, uh, and just had a really, you know, kind of a negative feeling about cancer. They didn't do so well and some of them didn't make it either. So, yeah, I, I think, um. Part of what I said and what I said earlier in not letting it define me is the cancer always had my respect. Um, You always had, you know, it's like it's a very serious thing. So to respect, it may seem weird, but I think the fact it kind of kept me in check.
0: And you I think it's fair to say you define yourself and identify as a runner. Would that be fair to say? For sure. Yeah. So I do know that during your treatment, which um, maybe you could take a couple of uh, a couple of seconds to tell us how intense it was, because it's pretty intense chemotherapy and then some stem cell transplant uh, has some impacts on your body. I'd I'd imagine. Tell us a little bit about that treatment. And then I want to get to um, you saying, no, I'm going to continue running, even when the doctor said, "Eh, maybe that's not the best idea. I want to talk about that a little bit. So. Tell tell us about the treatment and how intense that was. Yeah, my protocol
2: was uh, it's called hypercyad um, with rituxan, and um, I went through I went through six months of inpatient chemo, and what that means what that meant for me was I would do a round A and a round B. So I'd be in the hospital for seven to eight days for each round. I'd go home. For uh, a week and a half to two weeks, and then I'd I'd go back in the hospital um, for another seven or eight days. So, from the time I would check back in, I was hooked up to chemo until I left, and I did that for six months. Um, Hyper Cevad is considered one of the most aggressive uh, chemo protocols that that they have, and then once the cancer was in remission. I'd gone through, you know, d- uh, the process of donating my own stem cells. And so those were uh, frozen, kept on cryo ice, uh, also treated with radiation. So once the cancer was in remission, we did the stem cell collection. Um, and then I uh, went, I took, I think I had a two or three week break in between that and the actual stem cell transplant. Uh, and that's where they give you another five days of, of uh, really intense chemo to kill all your bone marrow. And once you're, once you're done with that, then they, they give you your stem cells back and then you start the process. So it's called engraftment to where you're basically like you're a newborn baby again. Um, so your, your stem cells have to start growing and engrafting. And once, then they monitor your counts and everything. And that kind of determines how long you have to be in the stem cell unit, but you're completely isolated I couldn't leave the stem cell unit, so you know I, I had to walk around the stem cell unit. <laughs> um, and then once the engraftment took place, uh, then you know basically another almost another year of constant monitoring. And um, yeah, and so that that was kind of the the protocol and the treatment. And that
0: thrashes As, your it thrashes your body and immune system, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah, you I had. I, you're basically uh, zero immune system once you um, have the stem cell transplant. So, you know, I had to have all my childhood immunizations again. So, yeah, you're it's basically like you're newborn. You have a second birthday.
0: <laughs> oh, so, <geez>. uh, <laughs> well, that's fun, I guess. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't in, know.
2: <laughs> they 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 came in and saying happy birthday and brought me a <laughs> nice blanket and balloons. And so, yeah, I got
1: <laughs> gave you a little hat. No, Keep, no, your hat. hat. No, Keep your head
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. warm. <laughs> Yeah, let me jump in there. So you didn't want to okay. stop doing races. You told your doctors running was important to you, and they're going to have to work with you as a team, that that was, like, not negotiable, that you... Like, running itself wasn't so bad, but doing these big races in that compromised immune system, I think, is what concerned the physicians. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. I mean, so why was running so important to you? Why did you lay the line down like that, you know, and and say, no, let's work together and figure out how I can continue to do this?
2: Yeah, I think... so. So there's a couple things with that. One, um, you know, I always I, I felt very strongly that just keeping my um, my cardiovascular, my pulmonary system uh, moving and functioning was really important. And uh, also, you know, my treatment wasn't a guarantee that I was going to come through this. And so, you know, running was definitely a big focus, but also, you know, hiking, fishing or anything else that I enjoyed doing. Um, I feel, you know, if I'm not going to come through this, uh, you know, if I'm not going to come through this. I'm still going to keep doing all the things that, um, that are, I'm passionate about and are important to me. And that's why, you know, I told my doctors, I said, well, I, I just, I'm not going to stop running. And so we kind of came to a compromise that I could continue to, you know, run and and, and do training but they didn't want me doing any races. They kind of knew my personality, like I wouldn't take it easy. Um, And so they said, well, yeah, you're okay to run, um, but, you know, don't sign up for any races. So that's how we compromised. And they, you know, they would say like, well, you know, don't run, you know, don't be going out and running 40 miles a week. And so I just sometimes didn't tell them how much I was running.
1: (laughs) So were you still doing 60 to 80 miles a week? No,
2: I wasn't doing that much.
1: Not um, quite. So dialed it back a little bit. I, I
2: figured if I negotiated on the high end and ran, you know, 25 to 30 miles a week, then I'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>.
1: <laughs> started at 60 to 80, got them down to 40 or, or 30. <sighs> so it's, yeah. it's a good
0: strategy. And did it ultimately just come down to that was a risk you were willing to accept? Because I think in the face of medical professionals saying maybe this isn't the best idea, might be a good idea to follow that advice. You, I mean, but you chose not to, um, was it just a risk you were willing to accept or does it come back to what you said earlier that you didn't know what the end was going to be? So I'm going to continue to do the things I really want to do. Or do you feel that you had a, like a, a, you were in touch enough with your body because of all the training you do anyway, that you would be able to tell if you're pushing it too much or like, how did that play out in your mind?
2: The risk of me continuing to run in my mind was outweighed or the benefit rather outweighed the risk because, again, I was focused on uh, you know, not being sedentary um, when I was in the hospital or out of the hospital. I mean, I, I walked four to five miles a day in the hospital um, when I was hooked up to chemo, pushing my chemo pole around because... Wow. Mitch, what's our excuse? I mean, that's what I was about to
3: say. I would just lay down. I don't know. I think you get a pass
2: for that time. John's doing
1: 40 miles in the hospital a week, hooked up to chemo.
2: Wow. (laughs) So, but, but to the, my, the thought process there, and I, you know, I I share this, especially, you know, for men listening, that if you do come up against it, you know, some kind of a health journey or cancer or whatever it is, when you're going through treatment, You can feel, you can feel miserable laying down or sitting down. Um, And you can also feel miserable, uh, you know, sitting, standing up or walking around and just getting some movement either way. You're going to feel miserable, but you're, you know, you're just to just kind of keep all the systems moving around. Just, you can always do more than you think you can.
0: Were they monitoring you pretty closely then too? Like, could you have gotten some feedback if, if, if it had been pushed a little too far, do you think?
2: Well, yeah, they, they did monitor me yeah, very, very closely. I mean, sure. in between treatments, I was still going back into the hospital every two to three days for, for, you know, labs and um, also some, uh, you know, like a pentamidine tent treatment for, to make sure that I didn't get uh, pneumonia and stuff in my lungs. But uh, I, I actually have to admit, I did get caught a couple times because when my platelets got really low <laughs> um, and you don't, <laughs> always know when your platelets are low unless you have a, a lab result but i went in a couple times and they're like oh what's all this bruising on your legs and i said boy i don't know um, I, <laughs> nice. I really didn't know at the time but uh, said, yeah. yeah well it's because <laughs> you're you've been running you've been running on low platelets so um yeah they didn't yeah. monitor me closely but yeah you know, there was a few times i got in trouble for that do you do. remember
1: sorry do you remember your
2: platelet number like how low you got?
1: <laughs> I'm just <What>? curious. <laughs>
2: um well I had to be given platelets two or three times. Um yeah. I don't remember the number I should.
1: Yeah. So if you it were getting low. transfusions, it was low. Yeah. So you were getting spontaneous yeah. bruising and bleeding because of the platelets, but you were going for it still. You were Yeah. You were running, yeah. Hey, I'm going to speak here not as a physician, but just as a guy who just really admires what you did. I hope if I ever face what you did that I do the same thing. And I know the doctor said don't do it. But (laughs) to me, it's it's impressive. And I think, too, the challenges that doctors have, you know, there are no studies of what activity is appropriate for someone who at baseline runs 60 to 80 miles a week. Like if the average person who maybe exercises 30 minutes, three times a week said, Hey, can I continue to exercise 30 minutes, three times a week? They'd probably say, Yeah, that's okay. It's probably good for you to get outside. Um, but you're functioning at such a high level. And I think your body was used to that. Uh, obviously you dialed it back a little bit, but I think for me too, it would be important. Number one, like you said, not to define yourself, not to have the cancer to define, define you and continue to, to do those things, which in many ways do define you. Uh, but also just because, you know, that's what your body's used to, you know, you're you're used to functioning at a very high level uh, and you dialed it back a bit, but um, you were still doing the things you love to do. And I think like you'd said too, just that activity, I'm sure that helped you get through chemo and kept your body functioning the way it wanted to function.
2: Yeah. And also the mental aspect of it too. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the physical part was definitely important to me, but you know just mentally being able to be outside still and um just having movement
1: yeah being outside yeah i i can i can only imagine i'm sure that was huge just yeah just that just the the you know the runner's high just the just the that feeling of just being out in nature and exercising i'm sure that like and i love how you said too that you can be sick lying down or you can be sick and be up moving around and feel miserable either way you're probably better off feeling miserable if you're up moving around. So that's, yeah, I think that's an important thing.
0: Tell us a little bit about depending on other people, uh, which was a part of your journey. I had seen an interview with you where you said something to the effect that nobody recovers from cancer alone. Um, And in that interview, much like here, you got a little bit of an emotional. um, And I think that's important for us guys to talk about because, we a, a lot of times we guys feel like we have to project this strong image all the time that we can't, you know, we can't show other emotions like anger is the only emotion we're allowed to show. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, but I love that you talked about that. Um, nobody recovers from cancer alone. Tell us about the importance of the support group in your life and who that was. Your wife was with you. So obviously she was an important part. So you can talk about her or other people.
2: Yeah, for sure. So my wife, um, my two daughters, uh, now 30 and 20, um, they were a huge part of the support and, you know, my, my sister and, and just so many friends and, you know, not to mention just all the people at Huntsman. Um, I I remember my first impression coming into Huntsman and I walked through the front doors and, you know, I was just expecting to feel like I was walking into, you know, a hospital and it just didn't feel that way. It felt, uh, you know, it kind of felt like I was walking into a hotel. And so just all of the support um, and, and just, yeah, I mean, it was key. I, I, I was laser focused on, you know, doing whatever it was I needed to do, but I couldn't do that alone. And, you know, just the things and, you know, that like I had people come over and, uh, you know, take care of the yard because I wasn't supposed to be around dirt with my immune system being the way it was. Um, and just, you know, people, people come out of the woodwork.
0: You know, that really filled my heart when you just said like something as simple as coming over and helping with the yard work that that must have yeah. felt pretty good. Right. Like to know somebody was there and that had your back. Did- yeah 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 it
2: felt good and it, it felt good but at the same time when i i huh. learned a i learned a lesson there that i was uh not great at receiving help
0: i knew that was coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. i mean, <laughs> yeah, I, <right. laughs>
2: I i would i was very good at giving help yeah um but it took me some time it's like okay well uh you know what what goes around comes around, and it took me a little bit of time to realize, like, hey, I've got to accept help, like, you know, there, I just can't do all this on my own. Not only gotta, but you can, it's okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> I go do through that same <laughs> right. struggle, too, right? Like, I never,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: so weird. Oh, is, I, would, it, I would be the exact same way, too, yeah. I, yeah, it would it be is so okay. hard for me,
2: <laughs> and, you know. My dad, I remembered something my dad used to tell me. He said, you know, if you do good, you get good, and but it accepting to get good sometimes hard
0: yeah i think that would be tough yeah it, it is it is tough but um the the thing is people like to help other people and yeah. people like to help other people that they care about and it's it's you know it's something we all do and and actually letting somebody else help makes them feel good as well i think when i finally started to realize that i'm a little bit more accepting of taking help
2: yeah exactly and and one thing that you know, that comes to my mind that I just want to share is that, so, you know, speaking of my wife and my family is, I mean, you know, my wife, she, you know, she held down every, you know, cause we shared a lot of responsibilities with the kids and everything. And it's like, I wasn't always there to be able to do that anymore. I was in the hospital for seven to eight days. Sometimes when I'd come home, I didn't, you know, I, I'd have a few rough days and hanging over the toilet, throwing up and things like that. But the other thing aspect of that was going through my chemo and just the effects that it has on your body and mind. Uh, I would, I, I reckon it to like, I would feel like I was watching an episode of the twilight zone where the, the world was just moving past me at 150 miles an hour. And I would see that. Um, I would recognize, I'd be like, just felt like it was, you know, I was on the Autobahn going 150 miles an hour, but I wasn't really comprehending a lot of exactly what was going on because my mind just wasn't keeping up. So without the support of other people, that that would have been a lot worse.
1: Now, your wife's a runner, too, isn't she? She is. Yeah. So what, did, what were her thoughts about you running? And and uh, was she running with you or was she just like, John, this is too much? Or I'm curious how, how she looked at that.
2: No, she was very supportive of it. Yeah, we'd go out and run yeah. together. You know, some obviously, she'd be concerned, like maybe I was doing too much. But yeah, she didn't say much to keep me from doing it.
1: Yeah, sounds like she was supportive. And that's a time you had together to run. Yeah,
2: that's cool.
0: You talked about people physically helping you out. Um, What about emotionally? Did you open up and express emotions to other people? Or did you do what I probably would do? Just I'm fine. I'm doing okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, how open were you emotionally with other people in your life?
2: Yeah, I think I was very open. Uh, and then, you know, one thing is kind of a side note. Uh, I was able to participate in a new program up at Huntsman called the mind body skills group. And I, w- I was part of the pilot program up there. And it was exactly that it was, it was other cancer patients and turned out it was mostly men. There was a few women in the group. Um, but we would meet once a week and, um, sometimes once every other week. And, that's we would do. we would always open it up with some kind of meditation, but the rest of the uh the remaining time of of the group was just sharing how you feel and I' tell you this is another thing too is everybody empathizes everybody um you know can kind of i have an idea of what you're going through, but talking to other cancer patients there's just that level of understanding that it just you know it really helped you just I opened up, I didn't, I didn't really hide anything. And in, including, you know, once you've gone through all that treatment, there's no modesty either. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. yeah, there's, yeah, there's some stories there, but um, I, I've never really been a super modest person, but now I'm
0: definitely not a modest at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then you talked about fighting and beating cancer uh, and you wanted to talk about like this story that we hear in society about how a patient gets cancer, patient beats cancer, and then kind of, we all think it happily ends ever after, but that isn't necessarily the case with cancer. There are long-term complications, both physical and emotional. Tell us more about that.
2: You know, it's, it's always there. So it's, I, I, I keep it in the back of my mind majority of the time, but sometimes it comes out, um, so you know the mental aspect of it is there. I actually I actually went through um, some therapy uh, this year just because I felt like I felt like emotionally there was some things that that I may not have completely worked through. So I was doing some EMDR therapy and and it's really helped. What's the, what's the uh,
0: EMDR therapy?
2: Yeah, and so it's just a method of of you know going through and and you know assigning, uh, recognition to a certain aspect of whatever the trauma might've been. Um, and, you know, and then just changing, just kind of changing the view of, of that. Um, you know, like an example would be that the feeling you're getting, assigning it a a shape, a color, um, and, you know, and and then, you know, just, and then changing that, changing that. So it's kind of, that's kind of an undersimplified way of looking at it, but, um, so I definitely did that and I think it helped me, um, had a few things that I was still holding on to, but, um, the, the physical aspect of, you know, surviving, you know, specifically one thing that I've dealt with quite a bit, uh, is I'm now immune compromised. And so I go, you know, I go in every six months, um, for, for lab work for my, immune, my, my immune system. And they found out that about five years post-treatment, I started, I started getting, you know, hospitalized with simple viruses like RSV and human metanemovirus. And after the second hospital stay, I, you know, my allergy doctor was also an immunologist, and I just said, hey, I, something's not right. I shouldn't be ending up in the hospital with these viruses. And um, so we did the blood work and found out that my immune system was, uh, was definitely compromised. And so as a result of that, um, that's something that I deal with every day. Um, you know, I, I still have to be careful when I go out, I wear a mask everywhere I go. Um, but I also have to do a, what's called gamma therapy. So every 21 days, um, I give myself, uh, home infusions with like a subcutaneous needles. And so I'm treating my immune system and, you know, as far as my doctors uh, know right now it's something I'll probably have to do the rest of my life and so it's it, you know it's it's better than what the outcome could have been but it it's definitely hmm. it's definitely something that um I wish I didn't have to deal with afterwards but hey i'm still i'm still here i'm still kicking and i'm still running races and crossing finish lines
0: Has your, has your definition or philosophy of what health is changed? Like the John before the cancer diagnosis versus the John now, do you think of health differently?
2: I think that I'm, you know, I'm just grateful every day that I get up and I'm, I'm not ill. And if I do get ill, you know, hopefully I get through it quickly, but um, yeah, I definitely think it's, it definitely changed that perspective and, just being looking at my health, from being more of a gratitude perspective than just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm healthy and I'm doing these things and that's why I'm healthy. People say, well, you know, ha- how's your health? And I say, well, my health is great right now until I get sick. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like, like you mentioned, you're still, obviously you, you've been, to, you reached that five year mark and I'd agree that's a huge milestone but you're still having to deal with some of the consequences of chemotherapy and some of the impacts on your immune system and of the lymphoma itself. Um, where are you with running now?
2: Yeah. So I run a couple races this year, uh, ran um, 50 miler in June. Uh, I just finished a 70 K in, in the Tesher
0: mountain range. Um, Mitch, what's wrong with us? I, that's what I was about <laughs> to say. <I> don't know. <laughs> Troy, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you? <laughs> I'm the one. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Yeah, John's doing this. Yeah.
2: And uh, I have lost such 100 in September. So that's um. leading up to, you know, my big race. I, I actually took a few years off of racing during COVID just because I I didn't feel like I could run the risk of participating in races with my immune system the way it was. Yeah. And, you know, when I say my immune system isn't working, it's not that it can, it should keep me from doing what, what I would normally do. It's just my, you know, my exposure to getting sick is just a lot higher risk.
1: Yeah. So Wasatch 100 coming up. So another hundred miler, what number is this for you?
2: So this will be my, um, this will be my 12th start and 11th finish. Um, I had one year where, uh, I was going for number 10 and I had a I had a mechanical issue with my hip and I just, I had to, I didn't know what it was and I didn't want to keep pushing my body. So I, I dropped out of the race, but um yeah, this will be my 11th finish this year. So, yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's a, for me, Wasatch 100 is a, you know, it's, it's a huge thing because I, it was a goal of mine to run the Wasatch 100 uh a year post uh, stem cell transplant. In fact, I, you know, I I ran, Wasatch 100, exactly one year of my anniversary, of checking in for stem cell. Wow, that's awesome.
0: As we wrap this up, what lessons have you learned from this experience that you think could benefit other men? The big
2: message I would say is, whatever health journey it is, um, you know, acknowledge it, accept it, uh, but you know, again, don't let it define you. One of my mottos was, game on, live strong, constant forward motion, and sprint to the finish line.
0: I like constant forward motion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never struggled I mean, with anything as difficult as what you did, but sometimes it's just about putting your head down and taking one step at a time and keeping the feet moving
2: for sure. And, and again, another important thing is don't, don't go in men, go into their cave, right? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we're great at going into the cave and, and, you know, keeping quiet and closing up, but it definitely is not helpful. And, I, you know, I think you'll learn if 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 you don't do that, you're going to learn how much it can help you. And hopefully, uh, you know, you're you're more open
0: and, and it helps you uh, get through other challenges in your life as well. And hopefully um, men don't have to go through a major health crisis to learn that lesson that you just said. Yeah. Right. Don't go yeah. into the cave, no matter what the challenge is in your life. Yeah.
2: No, that's great. And I, um, that's a good way to, that's a good perspective because. Yeah. uh, You're the one that said it. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, but you said, you said, don't wait till you get a health challenge. That's, that's the perspective. Don't don't do that. I mean, there's, there's no reason to wait.
0: And it can be hard. It can be hard not running in the cave. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, you just bounce into walls, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: right. Um, One of the things that I enjoyed about this conversation, there were so many, was how you talked with your doctors and you said, we need to work together on this. These are the important things in my life right now. And you guys might not be super excited about it, but let's find a way that we can come to a compromise so I can get what I want. You can get what you feel comfortable with. Uh, I think sometimes when you hear the story of a guy telling their doctors, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do what I want to do. It comes from a place of like machismo or whatever, but I don't think that's where it was with you. I think you had priorities. I think you still respected cancer. You respected where you were. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just said, Hey, no, that, that this plan does not work. Let's try to figure out a plan that can. And I love that part of the story. So thanks for sharing that.
2: Oh, for sure. And definitely not machismo. That was <laughs> that was my that was just my way to say, uh, if I'm not gonna come out to the other end, I just wanna continue to do the things that I enjoy doing. And it wasn't coming from that perspective at all. So that, yeah. that was an important clarification, Scott. Uh Mitch, do you have a
3: takeaway? I don't want this to come off wrong, but it what is so interesting is a lot of times when it comes to health, and we've talked about it on the show before, especially men's health, like This idea of you have to be strong. You have to be John Wayne. You got to be the one who, you know, tells the doctors to go F themselves and you're the strongest guy in the room, et cetera. That like that's that's the hero journey that we're told. And when I think about myself and some of the struggles I've had, you know, I, I it feels like you can't measure up. And so to hear John's story, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that it was hard sometimes and you did need to rely on other people. Right. You didn't do it by yourself. No, And so, not. you know, and that's that's not to like lower or make you any less of like a, a, a supermodel or superhero. Right. But like that's that's such a different reality than we're often shown in media. And for me, that was extraordinarily helpful
2: <laughs> to hear. Oh, good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this has been just remarkable to hear your story, John, and. It's led me to reflect a lot on that initial question we started with, like, how would you accept or how would you feel if you received a cancer diagnosis? And the simple fact is that half of men are going to get diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lives. Uh, In the last few years, several women in my life, um, family members, friends uh, I know, um, have been diagnosed with breast cancer and have gone through chemo and gone through that process and I think hearing your story, John, and then knowing their stories as well, I'm just so impressed with so many people and just the way they handle it with such grace and resilience. And like you said, they just keep pushing forward. They don't let it define them. Uh, and I hope if or when that day comes for me that I can do the same
2: thing. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And, you know, just just to kind of end on there, I received a, a lot of gifts going through cancer met a lot of, uh, incredible people. And so there's this, you know, there's always a silver lining. I mean, yeah, what I went through was, was tough and it was miserable at times. And, um, but I think being able to have a perspective that whatever the challenge you went through, there's always gifts to be seen and felt during those challenging times. I think that's uh, definitely helped me a lot, um, recognizing those gifts. And however small they were, um, you know, uh, or big they were, I I never ignored recognizing and feeling those gifts that I got, um, you know, whether it was friendships, meeting new people, support from my family and friends. Uh, yeah, I don't need any more gifts.
0: Back to the top of the show. Uh, To echo on what Troy said, uh, I think you've shown us a very. I don't have the word, but just uh, uh, you've shown me at least I can only speak for myself. You've shown me a way forward if I'm faced with something like this in the future, because I think going into it, I had kind of a different opinion. Um, So I do appreciate that. Uh, You don't always have to be the bravest one in the room. You don't have to be the toughest one in the room, but you do have to, you know say, all right, well, what can we do about this? How can we go? How can I not let this define me? And I think those words will resonate. So thank you for everything you shared. I think this is going to be an incredibly useful episode to anybody that listens to it. And if you have a story that you would like to share or a perspective or something that you took away, we would love to hear from you. Hello at thescoperadio.com. That's hello at thescoperadio.com. And thanks for listening. And thanks for caring about men's health, and thanks for being on the show, John.
2: Thank you. Very, very uh, honored to be on, privileged to be on the show, and thanks for the opportunity.